of worship in our service, Lord. Holy Spirit, will you come and will you anoint my mouth? Will you anoint, Lord God, our hearts and our minds, Father? Cause them to be open, our minds alert, Father, to receive everything that you have for us this morning. And Father, will you be honored? Will you be exalted this morning? And will you be glorified in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. And amen. What a wonderful time in worship. Thank you, Sarah, wherever she's gone. It's wonderful, isn't it, when God starts to, you know, just to, how he weaves everything together. The songs that were picked are just in line with what is being said today. So it's just love that, you know. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, allow me to begin with the lyrics of that popular song called Reckless Love. Do you know it? Yeah. Yeah. Now, true story, but when we used to sing this song in our old church, we had to ask the worship team to just change, to do a slight edit and change the line from reckless love to relentless love. Because we felt that God's love is not reckless, far from it, but it is relentless. Amen? Amen. And so this morning, I won't sing it for you, I'll spare you. But I will read some of its lyrics, and as I do, just allow it to minister to your soul, and just meditate upon this. It says, Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. Oh, the overwhelming, the never-ending, relentless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, and leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, the never-ending, relentless love of God. And then the chorus, it says, there's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Isn't that good? That's the overwhelming, the never-ending, relentless love of God. Do you know it this morning? And that said... We're going to continue on with our series of looking at Who is God? Part 5. And I've gleaned some wonderful insights from various theologians like Dom Dahn and many others. And I pray that it blesses you this morning. And so if you have your Bibles with you, then please open up and come with me to the book of Exodus. And we're going to read from chapter 34 and verses 6 and 7. And it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Verse 6, or verse 8 even, and Moses quickly bowed his head to the ground and worshipped. Hallelujah. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word. Amen. Now, As I've previously mentioned, how we think about God really does matter. Because our image or our perspective of what we think he is like, it will affect the way we live. Because if we think of him as this angry tyrant in the sky, then that will affect us. Or equally, if we think of him as this liberal, then that also will shape the way we live. It's like parents used to say to their children back in the day, do as I say and not as I do. Remember that? You probably said that yourselves. But the truth is that our actions, they speak louder than our words. In other words, we can't just talk the talk without walking the walk because children will see right through that hypocrisy and they may even call us out upon it. And so... What we say and what we do, they must be in alignment. And that is why I've really enjoyed the study of this series. Because what we see of God is that he is 100% consistent. That he never says one thing and then goes and does something completely different. No. But he is true to his word and he is true to his nature and his character. Glory. Now, as you know, the backstory of our passage is that Moses is asking God, show me your glory. That I need to know what you are like, God. Exodus chapter 3. But it's not until chapter 34 that God answers that prayer and makes a full disclosure as to who he is and what he is like. And as we have seen over the past few weeks, we have come to know that God is Rachum Vachanun, that he is merciful and he is gracious. And that he is also Erek Apayim, or he is slow to anger. And so... Building on that this morning and looking at the next line of our text, we see that God abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness. Or in the Hebrew, he abounds in hesed or chesed and emet. Now, we are told that when these two words are paired together, the meaning of it it deepens even more and it becomes even more profound. And so, beginning with the first word of this pairing, we learn that chesed, it literally means love. However, it doesn't stop right there, scholars tell us. And what's interesting is that this word is so important in Jewish thought and theology that one rabbi went as far as saying that the whole foundations of the world could be built upon three foundations. Namely, 
Torah, Avodah, and Chesed. Torah is the word of God. Avodah is the worship of God. And Chesed is the love of God. And the concept of Chesed is so fundamental to the qualities of the divine that it gets a double mention. Verse 6. God abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness. In verse 7, he keeps or maintains steadfast love. Wow. Now, what does chesed even mean? Well, it has been the subject of much scholarly debate over the years. Because as previously mentioned, the Hebrew doesn't quite transliterate very well into the English. For instance, the NIV, it translates chesed as love. But if you were to read from the New King James, it translates it as goodness. The NASB, it is loving kindness. And the ESV, it is steadfast love. So, which one is it? Answer? All of them. In fact, one scholar states that chesed, it cannot be translated with only one English word because it is a covenant term wrapping up in itself all of the positive attributes of God. Love, covenant faithfulness as we have been seeing through Pastor David. Mercy. Grace, kindness, loyalty, etc., etc. And so we cannot just say love because it incorporates a whole host of other things. What's more is that in Scripture, chesed is given even when, the, when it receives nothing in return. And even when the person receiving it doesn't even deserve it. Wow. And we find a great example of this in the book of Lamentations. And just as the title suggests, this book, it speaks of lament, weeping, and sorrow. Because the Jewish people had broken chesed, or covenantal faithfulness, with Yahweh. And so as a result... They are now overpowered by the surrounding nations who then carry them off into captivity. And so chapter after chapter and verse after verse, they lament as they describe their deep grief and sorrow. And it doesn't make for an easy read. However... Right smack bang in the middle of this book, in chapter 3, we find a flicker of hope as God lights a beacon. And it's where Jeremiah records those wonderful words that we often cite which say, But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end, but they are what? New every morning, for great is thy faithfulness. Hallelujah. In other words, Israel, 
They may have forsaken Yahweh, but Yahweh has never forsaken Israel. You see, the essence of chesed is loving and it is giving. It is mercy and grace to those undeserving, including Israel, along with us. And so, if you're in the middle of a storm right now, then know that the steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. It is never exhausted and it never runs out. That he is with you and he is for you. And he will bring you through. Thank you, Jesus. Now, not only is God a God of love, but this God also is faithful. And the Hebrew word for faithfulness is the term emet. And it speaks of truth, consistency, fidelity, and commitment. And from one of its forms, we get the word Amen, which means so be it or may it be so. It's like when a preacher preaches. And if something resonates with you and you're in alignment, then you may say Amen. Amen? Amen. My point exactly. (laughs) Because firstly, you're affirming the validity of the truth. And secondly, you're aligning yourselves with it. And thirdly, well, hey, we are Pentecostal after all. And we just love interacting with one another with amens. Amen? Amen. And there it is again. Come on. <laughs> now, I love what Dom says about Emet. He says... Emet, it consists of three Hebrew letters, Aleph, Mem, and Tav. And interestingly, Aleph is the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Mem is right smack bang in the middle, and Tav is, you've guessed it, the final letter. Yes. And so scholars often point out that it's a picture of God's faithfulness from beginning, middle, and end, and that he is faithful all the way through. That his love for us is so infinite. It is unfailing and it is unending. Just let that simmer in your spirit for just a moment. And so that's these two words individually. And on the basis of that, we can all say amen, close our Bibles and go home, and it is more than enough, right? However, as I said earlier on, when these two words are paired together, they become even more profound. It's what scholars call a hendiades, which basically means that the two no longer stand alone But when they come together, they complement, explain, and feed off one another. For instance, God's name or nature is love. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. But then as proof of that love, he is faithful towards us. And so, 
when God's love and his faithfulness are placed side by side, it means that God's love isn't just gushy and emotionalism or butterflies in the belly, if you like, but rather it is a verb and it is action. In other words, his love isn't just passive, but rather it is active and it is in pursuit. That is love. It chases us down, fights till we're found, and it leaves the 99. Praise Jesus. Now, with that ground and with that understanding, let us jump over to the book of Genesis and let us go to chapter 24. Because it is there that we find this pairing of chesed and emet for the very first time. And its context is that Abraham is sending out his servant to seek a bride for his son Isaac. And let's pick it up from verse 2. It says, Abraham said to his servant, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. Now, in the ancient Middle East, much as it is today in many parts of the world, marriage would be arranged by the parents. And the children will happily and respectfully go along with it. Now I know that flies in the face of our culture today. But there was merit back then in arranged marriages. Anyhow. Abraham realizes that he is no longer a spring chicken anymore. That he needs to marry his son off. And so he calls for his servant and says, place your hand under my thigh. Now, I know that sounds a bit a little cringe, but uh, it was one of the ways in which contracts were exchanged in the ancient world. And aren't we glad that contracts are no longer exchanged in that manner? Amen. Amen. I tell you, we've, we've dodged a bullet right there. Praise God. Anyhow, Abraham instructs his servant under oath to find a godly wife for his son. The servant departs, and he travels the highways and the byways, looking for a potential bride for his master's son. And then he finally arrives in the city of Nahor. And while he is waiting at the well, he sees this beautiful young woman called Rebecca, who is just stunning. And so he approaches her. And to cut a long story short, the marriage is arranged. Isaac and Rebecca fall deeply in love and they live happily ever after. And so in short, it's the story of a man in pursuit of a bride. Hold that thought. Because when we jump over to verse 27, it tells us that when the servant recognizes that Rebecca is the one, he says... Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his chesed and emet, or his steadfast love and faithfulness towards my master. 
And note, the first mention of this pairing is in connection with a father in pursuit of a bride for his son. That's the gospel right there, isn't it? That the father is in pursuit of a bride for his son. That he looks for us in the highways and the byways. And he chases us down. He pursues us, woos us, and draws us to himself. Which is why the scripture calls us the bride of Christ. Hallelujah. And so, that's the first mention of this pairing in the Old Testament. And note how it's about the gospel or good news. And interestingly, the first mention of this pairing in the New Testament is also about the gospel. John 1.14, it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth and there it is the greek equivalent of the hebrew phrase chesed and emet glory now as you know john's gospel is absolutely rammed with exodus imagery as in the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that word dwelt there, it literally means tent or tabernacle. That just as Yahweh tabernacled among Israel, so does Jesus. Verse 17, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Verse 14, we have seen his glory, and this is a loaded statement right here. Because this is exactly what Moses has been praying for in Exodus 33. God, show me your glory. Now, the word for glory in Hebrew is the term kavod. And it means weight or significance. And the idea behind it is that some things are light and fluffy and hold no weight and can easily be blown away. But in contrast, kavod is weighty. It has substance. It has meaning. It has majesty and splendor. And so, when Moses says, God, show me, your glory, he is longing to experience something of Yahweh. And Moses is not alone because that's the cry of all the saints in both testaments. That there is this yearning for Israel's Redeemer. And that is why When speaking of Jesus, John writes, we have seen his glory. And this really is a mic drop moment. Because Jesus, he is the hope 
of Israel, and he is the embodiment of Kavod, who has now come and made his dwelling among his people. In other words, our God, he doesn't remain aloof and at a distance, no, but he is in pursuit of his people. Luke 19.10 which says that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Amen. And we see this throughout the Gospels, do we not? I mean, think of Matthew, the tax collector, despised by his very own people for his chosen profession, and yet Jesus pursues him and says, follow me. And then there's Peter who blows it not once, but three times when he denies the Lord. And yet Jesus pursues him and reaffirms his call and says, Peter, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, and feed my sheep. But ultimately, we see the Lord's pursuit of us at the cross. Because he pursued us right to the bitter end and he never gave up on us. And it's because of his sacrificial chesed and emet that we are here today. Can somebody give the Lord praise? That was a bit of a weak praise, wasn't it? Hey, what's going on? Come on, church. Much more like it, much better. (laughs) Praise God. You see, the fact that our God pursued us, it ought to make us dance and jump for joy and go and tell the world about this wonderful Savior who is still in pursuit of his people and his children who do not yet know him. So why don't we do that this week? Not many amens there. (laughs) I see that hand, sister. Praise God. Now, as I close, allow me to finish with this story of an old missionary called Vincent Donovan in the, the 1960s. Now, Vincent was a missionary to the Maasai tribe in Tanzania. And whilst he was there, he had a crisis of faith where he questioned his belief in God. Now, There was nobody else to talk to. And so in desperation, he went to one of his converts who was an elder in the village. And he says, I'm really struggling with belief right now. And the wise old Messiah elder, he sat him down and he said, you know, when you first arrived those many years ago, you told us that we needed to believe in God. And it was interesting because you were still learning our language and we didn't know any better. But you used the wrong word for believe. You used the word accept. And that word accept is the word that we use to describe white hunters. Because the way they hunt is that they have no contact with the prey whatsoever. But far away from a distance, they lift their rifle, squeeze the trigger... And that's the end of it. That's that. And he said, Over the years, the more I have learned about the gospel, 
the more I realize that to believe in God is not like that hunter, but rather it is more like a lion in pursuit of its prey. And when a lion stalks its prey, it tracks it down for days. It longs for it and desires it with great anticipation until that day finally arrives. When the lion sees its prey through the grass and through and with every fiber of its being it launches itself grabs the prey and brings it to itself he paused for a moment and then he said the more i learn about jesus the more i realize that he's the lion and that we are the prey and that his love for us is profuse that before we knew him he was hot on our trail and he was calling us for many of us resisted and we ran in the opposite direction but he never gave up on us but he pursued us until he consumed us with his steadfast love And that is what David says in Psalm 23. And we've been singing it this morning. That your goodness and your mercy, your chesed, will follow me all the days of my life. And that word for follow could also be translated as he pursues or hunts. That God's love, it chases us down. It fights till we're found and it leaves the 99. And so in closing, allow me to ask, do you know this love this morning? Because if you don't, then you can know this love because the father's arms are wide open and he beckons you towards him and it's invitation it's not coercion it's not force it is always invitation and he says come come whosoever will the father is waiting and if that's you then we're here and we if we can help you on that journey then please grab one of us after the service love to grab a coffee and a chat with you amen Amen. or if you're here this morning and you're running from him or you're resisting him right about now because you think you've blown it somehow and that you've gone too far and let me put a pen in that right now because you can never go too far and beyond the reach of God so if that's you then just be still and just surrender and let him love you and envelop you with his great love or if you know somebody who desperately needs to know this love maybe a parent a sibling a child, a friend, colleague, neighbor, whoever it may be, let me encourage you to keep praying for them, keep loving them, and keep reaching out to them. 
don't give up on them. Because our God, he never gave up on us. But he pursued us to the very end. And like yourselves, I was one of them, was very resistant, very like Paul, kicking against the goads as it were. But the moment we surrender to the lordship of this saviour, and we fully surrender, not a partial surrender, not just down on one knee, but both knees on the floor, face down like Moses. And the moment we say, God, I can't do this, I need you, he comes in. And then his word is, be still and see the salvation of the Lord. And we see that in the book of Exodus, do we not? When, the wind, when Moses, his back is against the wall, as it were, or against, back against the sea, the Red Sea. And no one knows what's going on. And as he prays, God, with a blast from his nostrils, opens up the Red Sea and they walk across on dry ground. This is our miracle working God. This is our Maywaker, Waymaker. So come to him today. And if you don't know him, then I want to urge you, come please and speak to us. Don't leave here without coming to know him. Because tomorrow, the Bible says today, is the day of salvation. Don't think I'll do it next week or a couple of years. I'm still young. Because tomorrow is not guaranteed to us. We only have today. So come to him. Because he is a glorious saviour. A wonderful counsellor. He is a mighty God. And he is in love with you. Whether you believe that or not whether you think that you're the most unloveliest being on this world, and all of us do. I don't think any one of us are that puffed up saying, hey, I'm a really great person, right? But he still loves us. He loves the unloveliest of us. And we, yeah, succumb. Just before I hand back to Brother Tyrone, um, let's just go bow our heads and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we want to thank you for this profuse, even furious love, Lord God, that you have commanded towards us, Lord God, and how you set this seal of love upon us. That even when we don't deserve it, Lord God, even when we feel miles away from grace, that God, you never gave up on us, but you pursued us right to the very end. And Father, all you call for us, Lord, is to surrender to you, God. And as we do so, Father, we think we're giving up so much, Father. But Lord, we're not giving up anything. We're giving up, Lord, the slop, Father, for a big banquet and a feast at your table. So Father, we pray, God, will you deepen your work of grace within your people? That, Lord, that we will not only know this love cerebrally, Lord, but, Father, we will have this experiential love of it, Lord God, a deepening, Father, of it, Lord, as you lavishly pour out on us. And, Father, as we have freely received of it, may we then freely give to others. We thank you, God, that we can't be, Lord, loving and at the same time be hating at the same time one's got to give. We cannot serve two masters. And so, Father, we pray that you will fill us, Lord God, with more of your abundant and your gracious love. And, Lord, that we will be conduits of your grace, God, showing the world, Father, of, Lord, this Father who is in pursuit for this bride.
for his son. That you are coming back, Lord God. You are returning, Lord, for a a bride without blemish, without spot or wrinkle. And so, Father, we pray, God, may we be ready upon that day as our bridegroom returns. That, Lord, we will be caught up with you and with you forever. So, God, bless each one, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.